0: Ah, the census is a special time when we count every single person in the country. Do kids and babies count, too? Of course. Counting everyone in your home helps support your neighborhood by funding schools, hospitals, and more. So complete the census by calling, going online, or returning your form by mail. It's totally private. Visit 2020census.gov
1: and... Make your family count! Brought to you by Carnegie Corporation of New York and the Ad Council. The fight against racism is continuing to show in the world of sports. And our own Major League Baseball team, the Cleveland Indians, announced on Friday that the team will start talking about a possible name change following years of controversy. Our Lindsay Buckingham joins us live this morning from Progressive Field with the history of the team's name and the renewed effort for the change and what it means to Indigenous people in our area. Good morning, Lindsay. Good morning to you, Romney. It's a name the team has held for 105 years. But now that there's a possible name change, we wanted to dig deep into the history and find out how we got there in the first place. Many longtime fans and sports historians believe the name was chosen to honor Louis Francis Sockalexis, a Cleveland professional baseball player, one of the first Native Americans in the game. He joined the then Cleveland Spiders, and that's believed that some fans started calling the team the Indians as a nod to his talent. Cleveland then went by the Blues in 1901, followed by a brief stint as the Broncos. Then Napoleon Lodgeway joined the Broncos and fans voted overwhelmingly to call the team the Naps. When Lajewe left, they went back to the Spiders era when Alexis led the team. That's when sports historians say the team changed to the Indians. Since then, Native Americans and other activists have gathered on opening day to chant, change the name, change the logo, for over 20 years, hoping for their own change.
0: Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. Hey, everybody. What is the news? How you doing? My name is Tim Hanlon, and uh, this is Good Seats Still Available, our curious little podcast uh, excursion each and every week into what used to be in professional sports. Uh, We thank you for finding us. And uh, welcome, of course, to the proceedings. Uh, that clip sets the tone. Uh, well, in some way, shape, or form, it does. Unwittingly, uh, that clip from uh, WKYC Channel Three in Cleveland, Lindsay Buckingham reporting. No, not the F- Fleetwood Mac former member. Uh, as uh, we kind of get into a little bit of an intrigue here with this story this week, Eric Nussbaum is our uh, our guest this week. He the return. Guest from our uh, episode number 158, where we talked about the uh, not so glorious uh, history of uh, of Dodger Stadium. I highly encourage you to listen to that, and of course, get the uh, book uh, dedicated to that story called "Stealing Home: uh, Los Angeles, the Dodgers, and the Lives Caught in Between." It's a fascinating story, uh, and uh, and Eric Nussbaum is a fascinating guest for a lot of different reasons. One of which is uh, his commitment to uh, writing stories about various forms of sports history. Uh, in a particular, from his, uh, his website, his um, subscribable blog called Sports Stories, sportsstories.substack.com. Highly encourage you to uh, sign up for that and get the uh, weekly uh, email uh, letter from him. Uh, and uh, we, we delved into uh, a whole treasure trove of some of those stories. And this week, uh, we wanted to kind of circle around one that he wrote about two years ago around the story of the Cleveland Spiders. Now, the Cleveland Spiders, as many baseball fans may know, especially in 1899, were uh, known as and still are the worst team purporting in the, the worst season in Major League Baseball history. The 1899 Cleveland Spiders uh showed up with a record in the national league back in the day of 20 wins and 134 losses uh a record that still stands i think it was a 180 winning percentage if you want to even call it that the spiders were a team in the national league the earliest uh, almost the earliest days of the national league basically running let's see that they were around from uh 19 excuse me 1889 to 1899 a good 10 years the last year of their existence is when they they rolled that sort of horrible uh, record. Uh, they were preceded uh, by two years in the American Association, 1887-1888, so two seasons there. Um, but we're going to get into the story of their very last year of existence, the spiders, uh, in 1899, uh, and the reasons behind it. It's a, it's a fascinating story. Uh, it's been told elsewhere, but uh, we kind of sort of get into the nitty-gritty of it. Um, but basically, it's, it's a story that uh, includes another team, the St. Louis Perfectos, who you people in St. Louis will, of course, know were the actual direct lineage and uh, source of what are now known as the St. Louis Cardinals. That's one aspect of the story. Another aspect of the story, of course, is their horrid uh, their record and, and, and how it lasts even into today's modern age. Nobody has come close, although there have been a few. Uh, the Mets of of uh, sixty two, for example, uh, were pretty bad. Um, there are a bunch of other teams that sort of uh, uh, approached it, but certainly nothing uh, to the extent of the uh, the terrible record uh, posted by the uh, the Cleveland Spiders. Um, the uh, and we get into all that story, but it's also uh, interestingly and somewhat unwittingly uh, wrapped up into uh, the current uh, travails that the uh, Cleveland now called Indians in the American League, have been around forever in Cleveland, now find themselves in, in today's sort of modern sensibilities uh, and the the imperfection of of that name and uh, its uh, treatment, if you will, of uh, the Native American um, uh, among uh, our citizenry and uh, something that we actually talked about uh, in similar straits when we talked about the Washington NFL football franchise Uh, And their name issues and probably other teams, as we sort of alluded to uh, as well. But uh, the reason why it's important for this story this week, uh, yes, baseball historians will recognize that the uh, American League uh, Cleveland Indians uh, have no direct relationship to the National League team known as the Spiders uh, that died after the 1899 season. However, uh, as you heard in that uh, in that setup. Uh, Louis, or Louis, uh, Sock Alexis, uh, one of the uh, star standout and Native American, by the way, uh, by many accounts, recognized as the first ever Native American uh, player in uh, National League and actually Major League Baseball history, uh, was a key player uh, on that Spiders team. Um, I believe both in the woeful year of 1899, if I'm not mistaken, but certainly in the years prior to that, apparently the reason why the team that, uh, came in the American League a few years after that was named, uh, its current name, the Indians, and actually the name, nickname Indians was applied to, uh, the Spiders, uh, informally, uh, in deference uh, to sock Alexis. So it's a it's a it's an intriguing story with multiple layers, that uh, half of which we didn't even expect. When we just reached out to say, hey, Eric, would you like to be back on the show to talk about one of your great stories from Sports Stories? Again, that's sportsstories.substack.com for you, uh, if you guys want to uh, subscribe to it. Uh, as we uh, just innocently sort of asked about uh, this little uh, uh, asterisk, I think, in baseball history, the the woeful, excuse me, 18, it's hard to say, the woeful 1899 season of the Cleveland Spiders, which is our topic this week here on The Big Show. And uh, it's it's a fascinating story, lots of intrigue, lots of uh, tangents. And we get into it uh, in just a few moments uh, with Erica. Please stick around. Um, sponsorship this week is brought to you by, our show is brought to you by OldSchoolShirts.com. Uh, where, of course, uh, you can regale in all things Cleveland sports and all kinds of other sports, lots of other teams, lots of other cities, lots of other regions. But, of course, we want to highlight Cleveland this week, of course, because that's where our our show is domiciled. uh, And lots of great shirts and stuff, including, by the way, uh, a shirt uh, that is just uh, beautiful and probably one of a kind. Devoted to League Park uh, in Cleveland. Yes, still standing and sort of in commemorative form now. It's uh, no longer obviously operational, although it is for rec league play. But uh, it is there in sort of memorial uh, slash museum-like status. And uh, a great uh, nod to the history of, of, of baseball, not only in the country, but in Cleveland specifically. Uh, a great Cleveland League Park shirt. It's uh, it's red with the beautiful outline of League Park. And that's, of course, where the Spiders uh, and the Blues and uh, a bunch of other iterations of Cleveland baseball uh, existed, even the Indians themselves for a long time. Uh, and uh, it is one of the very many shor- uh, shirts that you will find uh, from our friends at OldSchoolShirts.com. Of course, we've got a promo code for not only for that shirt, but just at any other shirt you find there at OldSchoolShirts.com. That promo code is Good Seats. Good Seats is the promo code 10% off all of your purchases from our pals at oldschoolshirts.com get uh the league park shirt get uh I don't know how about the uh the Cleveland Crunch shirt how about the old coliseum shirt maybe you like to remember the miracle at richfield the old richfield coliseum from 1976 how about the big 30 the big 30 cklw uh in uh in commemorative t-shirt form all kinds of Cleveland memories as well as many other cities and many other regions and many other sports and leagues Etc pop culture you name it OldschoolShirts.com. that promo code good seats thank you to PF Wilson and his friends there and uh a tip of the hat to him and all the great uh, folks uh in Cleveland now PF is not in Cleveland he's in Cincinnati Uh, But uh, regardless, wherever you are in the great state of Ohio, for God's sakes, how about some celebratory T-shirts to be purchased? And uh, let's uh, also celebrate the woeful existence, well, at least the last season of which, of the Cleveland Spiders. Now, they were a pretty darn good team prior to 1899, but let's find out why they all of a sudden went from pretty darn competitive. uh, Cy Young, for example, uh, a stalwart on this team, mind you. And why in 1899 everything went to hell in a handbasket and to the end of the to the end of the franchise's existence? Let's get into it with our pal Eric Nussbaum as we uh, we talk about spiders baseball in Cleveland. Please enjoy for our audience. Right, uh, not only were you uh, a great guest in the previous episode about stealing home, the, the story about uh, Dodger Stadium and its uh, frankly uh, uh, fr- uh, ugly uh, history into coming into being right i think everybody you know celebrates it and thinks it's part of the the sort of the uh, the hagiography of the dodger lore um and if you haven't listened to that uh, episode i encourage you to 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 perhaps pause this one first and and, and make sure you download and ingest that one because it's a it's a fascinating topic it's a great conversation and eric was uh, kind enough to put up with our uh, incessant questions about it but to to regale our audience a bit about who you are, your your background, and um, maybe sort of the uh, your sort of other outlet when you're not writing uh, great books and, and important books. Uh, your, uh, I guess your uh, the, the the manner in which you express some great sports history in quote unquote sports stories. Your site,
2: yes. So, Stealing Home uh, was the book, and it came out in March, uh, and I would say. Please do listen to that podcast first. But uh, so before the book came out, but after I finished writing it, my friend Adam Billison and I, and he's an illustrator, decided we wanted to kind of try our hands at a new publication. And that became Sports Stories, which is a weekly-ish free newsletter where uh, I write about sports history and Adam does illustrations. So it's a sort of cool illustrated look at kind of the same stories you might hear on this podcast. Unexpected sports history stories.
0: And what's the why? Like, is is it an outlet for you personally? I mean, you're using Substack, which is uh, arguably a a, 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 you know a a, a move forward, I guess, in terms of hopefully uh, for writers, authors, journalists, etc., to frankly monetize better their their writings. But it's also a good outlet too, I guess, for maybe stories that have been sort of I don't know, just in your you know, in your id somewhere?
2: You know, we chose Substack because we thought it'd be fun. You know, I have had a blog before, you know, I wrote a book, I've written for magazines, never done a newsletter. And um, it's just a way to reach people directly to kind of cut out the middleman. I had been working advice as an editor uh, for years before I wrote the book. And when the book, I knew it was coming out and I knew I kind of needed to get back to writing publicly partly as a way to like reintroduce myself to to the world before the book came out because I had spent a couple of years working on it and not publishing anything. So I thought a newsletter might be a fun way to do that. uh, A simple and clean way to do it. I was not really ready to go out and pitch magazine stories. I didn't have the time to be honest. Uh, But with a newsletter, I thought, Hey, I can write some stuff that I think is compelling. Tell some stories that I think are interesting and start to, kind of see what happens. There wasn't a lot of pressure and it turned out to be great. You know, we've been going for almost a year now and you know, our audience is growing and it's a kind of fun little community we have.
0: Well, uh, and, uh, readers uh, should know and remember from our, uh, from our previous episode, that's a dot and you too can subscribe. Um, and Lord knows that there are probably at least a half dozen, uh, stories that we could have, uh, gone deep on. And, and you know, we reserve the right to call you back, especially if this one goes well, um, to kind of get into some of them because they do uh, creep into and or overlay with our silly little focus, which is teams and leagues and things, all things. Uh, we get now in, in, into events and stuff. We've done the Tour de Trump uh, recently, for example. Uh, we probably want to do the superstars at some point soon. We have an excuse possibly to do that, et cetera, around stuff that's no longer around in in, in sort of pro and pro-related uh, sports and stuff. And the one that kind of struck out to me or stuck out to me, uh, or maybe struck out is maybe more appropriate as we get into the topic. I was going to say. Thank you. Um, is uh, this story that I think is actually, by the time we drop this episode is rounding its 121st anniversary. Cause I think October 1st uh, is the actual date and the excuse for the original story back in 2019 when you wrote it uh, about this team. Well, it's actually teams, right? It's, it's this uh, Cleveland Spiders, I guess, is sort of the obvious sort of part of the story, but it's obviously related to at least one other team way back when uh, in the earlier days of, uh, of the National League. Um, maybe a little background as to why this story and, and who, who we're kind of sort of circling around. The Cleveland Spiders notable uh, for not the most uh, happy of reasons.
2: The Cleveland Spiders are the worst team in baseball history. They were awful. Uh, In the 1899 season, they went 20 and 134. Uh, They lost 40 of 41 uh, in a stretch.
0: But it wasn't because so. But this is also a team, though, that existed, you know, prior to that that poor season. Right. So this is around the time of the National League kind of, I want to say in its infancy, but it's certainly its earliest years. Uh, This is a team that was around in 1889 and lasted for a good dozen, well, a good 10 years or so, and then uh, uh, had a a cup of coffee prior to that. in the fledgling, depending on who you seek historically, not quite Major League or maybe Major League, American Association. So this is not a team that kind of just kind of showed up out of nowhere to have the stinking record that lasts for all time.
2: No, the the horrible record of the Cleveland Spiders was not really... An accident. It was definitely not the players' fault. They were a team that was quite literally built to fail. They were a, a historical anomaly in a sense, but also they were sort of the end result of a system in baseball that existed at the time that was just deeply broken and corrupt. So you can't really blame the players for only winning 20 games, but the kind of ignominy of the record sticks with them now 121 years later for sure
0: well let, let's go to 1899 because this is actually the last season of the spiders existence as well right and it uh, you know uh, my sense is that this had a hefty dollop of uh, of encouragement to uh, perhaps uh, make it their last season but maybe you can maybe set the scene as to who this team was and maybe why they sort of got into this situation because there's another team in the mix of all of this
2: yes absolutely so we should start with Frank deHaas Robinson Frank. Uh, was a cable car magnet who was from the Cleveland area and became very, very rich. He had a big mustache. He had a big personality. He was sort of a kind of classic 19th century businessman, baseball owner, booster. And uh, Frank bought the Cleveland team in 1887. Uh, They they became known as the Spiders supposedly because they – they were full of tall, lanky guys, and they resembled spiders physically. You can see how uh, much thought was put into baseball nicknames in the 19th century. Uh, the Spiders were a National League team. It's worth saying because the you know Cleveland baseball team now is in the American League, and they were they were Frank's Frank's thing. Um, he was a pretty good owner for the most part in the beginning. Uh, they had a decent team. They never were great. They were known for being a pain in the ass to everybody who played them. They played dirty. They fought. Uh, but there was one serious problem with baseball in Cleveland and in Ohio at the time. And it was basically Sunday baseball. Uh, the Spiders were not allowed to play on Sundays. Uh, they were legally blocked from doing so in in Ohio. And this became a huge problem for Robinson because Sunday was the only day that everybody had off. This was before the five-day work week had taken effect, before the labor movement really. And without Sunday games, Robinson didn't feel like he could fill up his seats in a stadium.
0: So, and, and what was the, what was the reason for it? Was it kind of a blue law thing? Was it a sort of a this is a, a sort of a, a godly day that the Lord has taken rest? You know, is it sort of vestiges of, of that?
2: So in theory, yes. In theory, it was a godly day, right? It was Sabbath. You shouldn't play baseball on the Sabbath. But bars were open in, in Ohio on Sundays also.
0: Oh, perfect. So you oh, have the, the almighty God you have of alcohol, of course.
2: The, well, it's the classic, like, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, where you have Frank DeHaus Robinson and the Cleveland Spiders in the middle. And then on either side, you have churches saying no Sunday baseball. And you have bars don't not wanting the competition saying no Sunday baseball. So the unholy alliance of the alcohol industry and the religion industry, I guess you call it, uh, working together to keep baseball closed on Sundays. And it got to the point where Robinson actually held a couple of protest games on Sundays, and all the players and umpires were arrested and taken off the field by the cops. So it was just not working in Cleveland for him. Uh, so all, as that's all happening, we should take a look at, the other team in this equation and that team is called the st louis perfectos they are another national league team uh they have another sort of charismatic kind of crazy owner a guy named chris von der off ah it's like a german name ahe is how you spell it uh so he was sort of a self aggrandizer and you know huckster to a certain extent he kind of wanted to like make baseball you know big entertainment, put the stadium in a theme park, that kind of stuff. Um,
0: Which, by the way, it seems to square with a lot of the, sort of the personalities, by the way, the players themselves, too, right? I, we're talking the earliest years of, of of the professional game in baseball. I mean, 1876 and onward, right? But still, they're roguish is a kind and gentle term for some of these uh, characters. But characters maybe is actually the better word. And, and it, that seemed to be not just a player thing, but an ownership thing, too.
2: Yes, absolutely. It's... Totally an ownership thing. Uh, baseball was sort of a vaudevillian deal. I mean it was it was entertainment, like it still is, but it you know it looked different then The sport was different as it was played and also as it was experienced by fans and as it was promoted. Uh, it was much more of a wild Wild West sort of attitude. And in St. Louis, uh, that wild Wild West attitude ended up sort of costing this owner, Chris Manderrah, his team. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right, to be honest. I didn't actually hear it when I was writing this story.
0: Well, the good news is he's not around to challenge it. So let's just – That's go true. Back. You probably know about it than anybody. So. Uh,
2: so the short version of this is that the Perfectos are, are, are a fine team, but their owner's going broke, stadium burned down. He needs to sell the team in a hurry. And Frank Robinson gets wind of this. And he does something that you could do at the time, but you can't do now. He buys the perfectos. So now Frank Robinson owns the Cleveland Spiders and the St. Louis perfectos. What a good position to be in for an owner. Uh, And obviously the first thing he does is he says, screw you to Cleveland and he trades quote unquote all the best players on the Spiders team to St. Louis for all their worst players uh, in effect, creating a super team in St. Louis and creating the opposite of a super team in Cleveland. Uh, he then transferred ownership of the Cleveland team the spiders to his brother and basically just said, I'm done with you, Cleveland the spiders are going to be terrible and the perfectos are going to be great.
0: So, okay. So let's, let's, uh, let's unpack that a little bit. So the, the, the Robeson's Robinson, excuse me. Uh say it, Robinson
2: Ro- Robinson. I've been saying his name wrong. It's Robison. It's, Robeson. it's okay. Robeson, not Robinson. Okay,
0: okay good. Well, they're, oh, also, they're not around either. So, you know, whatever we want to call them. But the Robis but the but they felt that St. Louis and these this the renamed Browns, by the way. the first ever incarnation of the St. Louis Browns was renamed this the um uh, the Perfectos, which I think is a far better name, by the way. And you wonder why it doesn't exist today. But I digress.
3: Well,
2: we'll um, find out what their name became. Ah,
0: OK, good. Well, let's, yeah, there you go. So uh, hint, hint, wink, wink. So so why St. Louis as a perceived better market? Uh, I'm, I'm guessing they felt that the, a good team in St. Louis would be a better attraction, maybe in a better business proposition than, in, than anything similar in Cleveland. I, why is that? I don't think it was
2: really about the city. I think it was about the political circumstances in the city. I think. Ah, got it. uh, You know, in St. Louis, Robeson. I'm going to just be hard on myself about that mispronunciation for the last 15 minutes. uh, He had a chance to build a successful business he wanted to build there, and to have a successful team, and he felt that the powers that be in Cleveland, be they, you know, godly powers or, you know, the powers of, the booze business. Didn't didn't want him to to be all he could be. So his way of solving that problem was to just take his ball and leave town.
0: Now this was a pretty darn good team. Cleveland was in the season prior in eighteen ninety eight, right? So there were some real star players, right? So this was not, this the, these shenanigans were were a pretty serious deal in terms of altering the quality and the balance of of, of play in the National League.
2: Yeah, the, the the spiders were a a legit team. You know, they were not bad at all. They were, if anything, they were pretty good uh, year in and year out. And they had some star players and they had a loyal fan base. Um, but you know, everything in sports uh, is is temporary, and the the reign of the Cleveland Spiders as you know a respectable franchise proved to be extremely temporary.
0: Well, so it's interesting. I mean, there's some Hall of Famers here, right? Cy Young being among them. Uh, that's now uh, going to be uh, domiciled in St. Louis going from Cleveland to Jesse Burkett and Bobby Wallace. These are all uh, even their manager, Patsy uh, Thibault. These are all Hall of Fame uh, types that, you know, now are, are, are domiciled in St. Louis. So how does this sort of how does this sort of play out? Because who does Cleveland get in return? um Just, it's,
2: nobody it's, nobody meaningful they get in return they literally got the the perfecto's old uniforms in the previous year they got um they got you know it's sort of if you think of like a sports movie where like the underdog team has you know all the worst equipment and all the worst everything that's sort of what the spiders became uh they the uniforms that they got back from st louis literally you could see the imprint of the lettering that said st louis on it and they were forced to wear them in cleveland uh it was it was very undignified for them you know the the perfectos got to go to spring training in hot springs arkansas the spiders trained in like a local gym in cleveland at a high school uh it was just you know champagne versus spoiled milk um it was, it was not a, not a pretty scene in Cleveland.
0: So I, I'm curious as to sort of how they went to market. I wonder, I mean, it, clearly sports writers, I'm sure were onto the, I mean, was it tried? Was it, was it, uh, obfuscated? Was it hidden? Was it, uh, was there try, was there slight of hand here or did, did, were they try to dupe? the, try to dupe the fans and the, and the press around sort of what was happening or was it sort of all sort of out there sort of hanging out in plain air?
2: It was out there in plain air. I mean, after the first game, sports writers in Cleveland started calling them the Misfits, and then they would come up with these increasingly depressing nicknames for the team the Forsakens, the Exiles, the Wanderers. They were called the Wanderers because they were so bad that they stopped playing home games partway through the year because nobody wanted to watch them in Cleveland. They really uh, just kind of limped into nothingness.
0: How does, the, how does the National League and, and the, the oversight of the league, how do they sort of handle all this, right? Because obviously the conflict of interest is, it's, you know, in modern terms, obviously it's pretty plain to see. But um, obviously this forces the issue for years down the road and, and maybe some of the rules and all that kind of stuff. But I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm finding it hard to believe or understand why organized baseball at the time – it seemingly had no recourse. Were you able to sort of determine as to like how this situation was even allowed, kind of to happen? to Have two two owners? Or, at the
2: same time? Organized baseball was was not that organized, right? In the nineteenth century, it, even going into the twentieth century, it's become a process of slow consolidation of power, right, and amongst what we now call Major League Baseball. But in the beginning, there was there were competitive leagues, right? The National League, the American Association, the American League came in, and then the Federal League tried to compete. There was. The PCL Pacific Coast League uh, in this time was arguably competitive with the other leagues. the The whole world of baseball was just so different. It was a different landscape. And to be fair to the National League, after this season, the same thing, by the way, was happening simultaneously in the National League with the Brooklyn Superbas and the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, the Superbas ended up winning the National League after. Pretty much just taking all the good players away from the the Orioles, uh, the an earlier version of the Orioles. That after that year, uh, this practice, which was called syndicate ownership, became uh, outlawed. So, so to be fair, Frank Frank Robeson and the owners of the of the Superbas and Orioles uh, did kind of get a slap on the wrist, and this practice was banned.
0: Um, I thought it was interesting. There was uh doing some research. I saw that the uh, Cleveland Plane Dealer. Um so first of all, the first game that they played was was against the Perfectos, the Spiders, huh? And I thought it was interesting because April sixteenth, eighteen ninety-nine, the plane dealer, the writer said, I think the quote was or the uh the headline was, the farce has begun. Um, so it's obviously pretty clear that this was not going to go well, and it and they seem to live up to that to that promise. I mean, w- was there any fighting spirit in this team? Was there any potential ray of hope or was it just, was everybody in the tank and, and, or it was just, I mean, I, I'm just wondering if, if players on that roster, the management, the manager, uh, fans, anybody, you know, uh, or was it just kind of, you know, a lost cause from the very beginning? Cause you think that maybe, you know, some of the better story of course would be that these young know-nothings or these traded, uh, uh afterthoughts, you know, kind of bonded as a team and kind of uh, got going and kind of made stuff happen. But clearly that wasn't the case. I just wonder how just how desperate and lost a cause it was and how early in the season. I
2: think it was immediately lost, uh, to be honest. I don't think there really ever was a a sense of hope. A lot of the trades that happened, you know, a lot of the sort of activity is also worth pointing out. I don't think I said this in the article it happened right before the season. So Robeson traded, you know, Patsy Tebow and Cy Young and all these guys to St. Louis almost immediately before the season started, I think in late March. And so it wasn't like Cleveland had a lot of time to recover after losing all their best players. They were just sort of uh, emptied out. And that was that.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because it looks like Robeson, you know, even publicly went to uh, lengths to to basically say that he's going to basically run this thing as a as a sideshow. So I, you wonder. I mean, I, that seems a little odd, right? Because at least you would want to kind of at least go through the motions and, and try to at least put together some semblance of a team. I mean, spite obviously is certainly playing a large role in all of this, right? But you know, you could also, you know, hold your nose and sort of throw out a team there i mean but when you you publicly go out there and then and maybe not even debate the press's uh perception of of this literally and figuratively sideshow um you know you're already dooming yourself to uh, a loss i mean you're going to lose more money than you would have lost even if you were trying to make a go out of it
2: yeah i think i don't know i mean maybe he thought i'm not going to invest any money into this and i'll just you know consider this part of the cost of the perfectos you know i get to own a better team and i paid very little for that team so it's okay if i if i lose a little bit you know in cleveland i'm not sure exactly what his thinking was you know at the very least he was able to you know create a really good good franchise in st louis and really like plant the seeds for what would become one of the greatest franchises in sports history with this, you know, very, very sketchy turn of events. So the perfectos wore, you know, beautiful white and red uniforms. And that tone of red on the uniform sort of stuck in the imagination of some sports writers. They started calling them St. Louis Cardinals. And there you have the beginning of of the St. Louis Cardinals organization, sort of born in this original sin of syndicate ownership and, sketchy deal making.
0: Well, that's an interesting sort of uh, track of history. How long did it take from uh th- but this season? How how well did they do actually by comparison uh, to their brethren in Cleveland? I mean, they didn't sort of run away winning at all, of course.
2: No, they were actually good but not great. They won more games than they lost, but they were not anywhere close to the Superbos. Um, you know, I think they were they were a solidly winning team, but not a championship team.
0: So far from perfecto uh, on the field. When, when did they? Uh, when did that sort of transition happen, and the Cardinals' name stick for good?
2: You know, I think it happened pretty soon afterwards. Uh, I think it became the Cardinals, in like 1902 or 1903. I don't, I don't think they were the Perfectos for long after the uh, after the trade.
0: So in some respects, this is actually almost a a semi, well, it's brilliant move, but uh, it's certainly a a, a happy move um, for the Robesons that at least that that uh, that. So what what comes though of what becomes though of of the Cleveland Spiders? Here's a team that uh, uh, you know was spent a good ten years in the National League, had uh, had had gotten a, was a major part of the American Association for a couple of years prior to that, but th- you know, did this this basically just drove. I'm guessing, this franchise into the ground. What it, Was it basically a fait accompli even before this, this wacky escapade in 1899? Do you think it was just not long given the Sunday situation?
2: I'm, I think that's kind of what it was. The, um, the National League contracted after that season from 12 teams to eight, and the Perfectos, excuse me, the Spiders were one of the casualties. So it was very easy for the league to say you're out and for the team to just kind of quietly disband and— disappear into the night. Uh the you know team that became the Cleveland Indians uh was around I think in some form or another. But I don't know if they were in Cleveland yet in 1899. I think they might have still been in Michigan where they where they started off.
0: Any uh, player uh names or 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 stories or or uh, managers or just just figures in part of this either in in the transfer to St. Louis or folks that uh, wound up coming to Cleveland, any names or any, any particular, um, you know, uh, stories kind of stick out from all of this. I mean, some, some really cool names. I mean, Nig Cuppy for one.
2: Yeah. Cowboy, I think the Cowboy most Jones for another, I think the most interesting player, uh, from the Cleveland spiders history is Louis Sacalexis, And he was, he was the first native American player in baseball history. Uh, well, you know, officially speaking. And at a time, you know, when, obviously the sport was extremely segregated. Uh, for some reason he was able to play and, uh, he was extremely talented. Uh, he came from Maine and he also was an extremely troubled guy. And when the, uh, when the team sort of made its, its move the team by, I mean, I mean the good players on the Cleveland spiders when they made their joint move to, to St. Louis, uh, Louis Cachlexus didn't come along in part because I think he had been drinking a lot, and they just didn't feel like he had it anymore. Uh, but it's kind of compelling to think about what could have happened, you know, had he had the long career that that he might have had, he not been battling alcoholism.
0: That's interesting. I, I also get the um, I also get the sense that um, uh, that could have been uh, a uh, a significant. Um, uh, enhancement of perhaps a, a conduit of, of Native American players. I mean, we've, we've talked about um, um, a few of those players in, in various past episodes, but, you know, obviously this is, this is a time where, um, and it's ironic, of course, that the, the team that uh, wound up coming into Cleveland afterwards was named uh, the Indians, and obviously still a very, uh, maybe less so then, but certainly now, a, a pretty sensitive name and topic, right, in, in today's sort of social society.
2: Yeah, there's well, there's actually a um, first of all, I think they should change the name. I should say that. Sure. Second of all, yeah,
0: we had a conversation uh, about the the uh, the formerly uh, known team in in Washington, uh, the NFL team, of course, and there are plenty of others too.
2: Yeah, and it, look, they're one or no now as the Washington Football Team. I think. Uh, I think so. I think that the name Cleveland Indians actually came as a you know sort of backwards tribute to Louis Uh that his his legacy is is why the team became called the Indians
0: yeah that's interesting and uh, people like chief Myers and, and and some others right I mean I I, um, I think that's 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 a very uh interesting background and it, look and you think about it we, we had this in this conversation about uh, about the Washington M- NFL franchise last week um you know if that indeed is or was true, right I mean that can be or could be a bit of the dialogue, frankly that could, either rehabilitate or justify or otherwise historically put into context in a, in a more positive and, and um, celebratory light, uh, you know, perhaps the, the po- possible retaining of that of that n- nickname. But I, to be honest with you, until I've, we've had this conversation, I, uh, it doesn't seem to be very— uh, maybe I'm just missing it because I didn't grow up in Cleveland or I know more about the story, but it would seem to me that that, that would be, if true— Something to to highlight and to underline as part of uh, uh, the beginnings of of why this franchise exists today in, the, in in its current name.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would I would like to see them try to make that case. Uh, you know, without coming off as completely disingenuous, I, I think that the fact that Chief Wahoo has existed up until just this year uh, sort of you lose a lot of credibility when it comes to saying that you want to honor the tradition of you know. Native American athletes like Sock Alexis. I I just don't get the sense that that is what the organization has been looking to do or that the fans in Cleveland who have supported Chief Wahoo, you know, and don't, don't want to change the name really care about.
0: Is there, is there any redeeming quality or factor that you can sort of uh, mine from um, this spider season? I mean, they, they are, are, um, Statistically, or at least on average, the uh, denoted as the worst in Major League Baseball history. I mean, a twenty and one hundred and thirty-four record that nets out to what a, a one thirty, quote unquote, winning percentage. Um, the Mets of '62 uh, were at a two fifty, right? They only won forty games and lost one hundred and twenty, right? So they lost. Um, uh, you know that was nominally better than the Detroit Tigers more recently in two thousand three. Uh, had a 265 uh, futility record but the spiders uh, seem to i don't know is is this uh is this something besides that is there anything positive to come out of all of this or are they just uh, uh destined to be sort of the uh, uh the the benchmark by uh, by which all teams will be uh measured against in terms of futility
2: I mean they're definitely going to be that benchmark in baseball but i think there's some things we can take away first of all i would say that we saw a sport capable of reform, right? After the season, rules were changed. Syndicate ownership is banned. That's a good thing. Second of all, Cleveland Spiders is a really cool name for a team, and we should consider bringing it back for the current Cleveland baseball team. Third I of mean, all- Along with <laughs> the
0: Perfectos and the Superbas, because I think those are all great names that just should be rehabilitated in some way.
2: Absolutely. I'm with you. Uh, oh, I forgot what my third of all was. Oh, see, great. Oh. So here's the third of all, you know, we still have teams in baseball that tank and try to lose. It happens for different reasons. We don't have syndicate ownership, but I think we should continue to hold owners and general managers accountable when they do what Frank Robeson did and lose games on purpose. I think it's unfair to fans and unfair to players.
0: Oh, no doubt. And but, you know, it's big business, right? And and even in 1899 terms, it was business, right? So I... One can see, especially if the rules allowed it, uh, the idea of effectively this version of tanking, right, is a you know you could argue with cynicism, but it's a savvy business move given the rules.
2: Yeah, I mean it's a savvy business move, but I would say it's uh, an amoral business move, or possibly an immoral business move.
0: Oh, I I, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. But that that hasn't not stopped. Uh, many an owner in professional sports, as we have learned over the years, uh, from accepting things uh, such as that. All right, wh- one sort of other uh, little, uh, another question. I, in my research, I, it it almost seems, I, I don't know if this is a convenient uh, sort of uh, uh, framing or not, but um, it almost uh, looks like uh, unwittingly uh, this exercise in, in, in 1899 was uh, the beginning almost of the end of the National League's exclusive oversight of professional big league baseball. It was almost like the beginning of um, uh, of, of perhaps uh, creating the beginnings of the American League, uh, the, ending the monopoly that the National League had.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it was s- sort of the beginning. I mean, I think seeing that the league downsized, you know, there's definitely – it's very clear with 1899 that things were – ready to change in baseball and that there was an opening. Uh, I can't speak too much to the development of the American league because I'm not an expert in it, but I will say that uh, certainly with the national league, you have a lot, a lot changing, a lot in flux.
0: Where, where do you see the, um, the spiders history uh, living this? Does anybody, I mean, nobody, well, look, this is a team that, that, that did exist Prior, they won a Temple Cup back in 1895, uh, which was uh, which was quite the thing. I mean, uh, I, does anybody claim ownership to this team history, or uh, is it basically just uh, uh, just a forgotten footnote and nobody nobody wants it? Thank you very much.
2: I don't think there's an official holder of the spiders' name or history in the way that, that happens with some former franchises. I'm not sure. You know, I think that you'd find a lot of. Uh, nerdy baseball fans like me you know holding on to the history uh there was a book about patsy tebow who was the manager uh there's you know society of american baseball research i've done a ton of great work on the cleveland spiders and on baseball of that era but i'm not sure if there's one official owner uh there's no frank robeson of the current cleveland spiders legacy
0: yeah, I mean, you know, and I guess, too, one could probably look at the Cleveland Indians franchise, given how long they have lasted in the American leagues ever since. Um, you know, but again, this is a team that uh, had to its uh, on its roster prior to the uh, the great bait and switch. Right. I mean, people like Cy Young, right, probably one of the most uh, uh, indelible uh, names uh, in all of the the, uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame. Right. Um part of this team for for uh, for a while it was actually I think it was his first professional team. So i you know, this is all part of the great tableau um and the stories. i you know, look, I think we're also in an era too where um you know, we can kind of also look back and 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 perhaps maybe absorb some of this and remember some of this stuff. And you know, it wouldn't kill anybody to have a spider's uniform once uh, uh, occasionally and, and sort of sort of dial back the uh, uh, the machinery and 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 maybe celebrate uh, some of the long and torturous history of, of this sport. Maybe, frankly, uh, the you know the St. Louis uh, Perfectos as well. I, I wonder and I don't know and I'm sorry I'm, I'm sorry I'm not a Cardinals fan. I look I do live in Chicago now, so I do have a rule against it in my house to even consider that idea about being Cardinals. But um, I wonder how the Perfectos legacy and the situation there is is or is not. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, rooted in in the Cardinals history. There's ever been sort of any sort of uh, acknowledgement and/or more than that.
2: I don't know. I mean, one interesting thing about that is that soon after 1889, Frank Robeson passed away. His brother Stanley took over the team. Then he passed away, and then Frank's daughter Helene became the owner, and she became the first woman to own a major league franchise. Uh, all the way back in the early 1900s uh, in St. Louis with the Cardinals, which is a cool piece of history that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the horrible Cleveland Spiders.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And, and I also, too, uh, sort of as a one sort of last uh, uh, part of all this, too, it, obviously the Spiders, you know, tanking on purpose, right, also scared away a lot of teams from actually making it to Cleveland or having games being played in Cleveland because of just the, just the absolute... Uh, Hard nature, not only of the play, but the of the the woeful uh, attendance too. I again, it goes back to they were also kind of sort of vagabond in that they had to kind of go on the road and, and sort of play out the strings, so to speak. Because if people remember back in the back in the day, a lot of a lot of the revenues were dependent on the gates, and, and you can imagine that a lot of teams didn't want to sort of make the trek or make the commitment to play in Cleveland if they knew that there was nobody going to be shown up at the game. It would actually have been a loss leader for them to do so.
2: Yeah, eventually the I mean spiders just play all their games on the road. They don't even bother anymore.
0: See, all the more interesting stuff w- with relation to to this team. So uh I, I guess now it's up to both of us to find the uh Cleveland Spiders or maybe even the uh St. Louis uh Perfectos um uh, uh, uh flannel jersey from Field flannels or, or some other place because this, this is just as a very interesting asterisk and footnote for sure. Um what other um, uh, what other stories do you think you have uh, in the hopper for uh, your uh, sports stories site, uh, either in baseball or or otherwise? Um, do, you, do you think are sort of uh, sort of scratching at you to to get out there and into the world?
2: Well, so this week uh, I'll give you the sneak preview. I'm working on a story about, and I don't know when this will air. This could already be published by the time uh, this episode airs, but. I'm writing about an athlete named Norm Bass, and Norm Bass was one of the first ever two-sport stars in baseball and football in the 60s, and his career was wrecked by uh, arthritis, believe it or not, in his 20s. Uh, He was a pitcher, he was throwing 100-mile-an-hour fastballs, he was a talented, talented athlete, and he had to give up his career because of arthritis only to, decades later, make it back as a Paralympic table tennis player and win a medal uh, in, I believe, Sydney in 2000. So so that's the next story for me.
0: All right, our thanks to Eric. And uh, let's uh, tell you where you can find all kinds of stuff from him. Of course, uh, the website from which we picked this story, which is called Spiders and Perfectos, Uh, is uh, at uh, Eric's awesome uh, site and uh, the one that you can subscribe to for free. It's called Sports Stories and it's found at sportsstories.substack.com. Again, that's sportsstories.substack.com. You can, again, subscribe for free and uh, and enjoy all these great uh, history uh, stories in and around sports, both uh, past, uh, mostly past, a little bit of present as well. Uh, and of course, uh, we also want to recommend to you highly uh, the book that uh, we featured uh, on our previous episode with Eric, episode number 158, uh, devoted to the story of Dodger Stadium. The book is called Stealing Home, and uh, it's the story uh, of not the not-so-pretty history of the development of that stadium and, uh, and the legacy that uh, it leaves behind and, and haunts, frankly, still uh, to this day. Highly recommended read and an, an excellent work. Uh, at that. Now, um, let's see. On our website at goodseatsstillavailable.com, not only will you find uh, that old episode, uh, but you can also find, for example, all of our old episodes, but maybe, for example, uh, episode 110 uh, with our pal Ken Krasolovic, uh, where we talk about Cleveland's uh, league park, right? Where the uh, the Spiders played. Uh, the Indians played in some of their earlier years, et cetera. Very uh, a legacy ballpark uh, commemorated today, still standing uh, and uh, revered uh, in baseball circles as well as in Cleveland sports history, of course. Uh, there's a museum there. There's a gift store and all that kind of stuff. You can even play, I think, rec league baseball still uh, in the uh, shadows or in the uh, the outline of the original park. It's, uh, it's terrific, and it's a great conversation that we have with Ken uh, back uh, almost a year plus ago uh, and uh, like I said all of our old episodes all 180 plus of them uh, can be found uh, streamed downloaded whatever at goodseatsstillavailable.com the easiest way of course to get all the episodes is just to simply subscribe to us wherever you get podcasts wherever you you know that's it could be Spotify it could be Apple it could be Google I don't care where you get them I uh, just subscribe maybe even rate and review us for god's sakes give us a little five star rating we'd appreciate that uh, let's see, you can follow us on social media too. Of course, uh, on Twitter, you'll find us at good seat still on Instagram. We're at good seats still available. Uh, there's a little Facebook uh, page devoted to us as well. Just, uh, follow us there. If you want to send us some email, you can do that too. How about, uh, at hello at good seats, still available.com. That's pretty easy to do. And, uh, of course, when you're on the website, you can also subscribe to our little email newsletter, which we send out every Sunday or so. Um, no direct link to that, but you just, uh, scroll scurry around the site there. You'll find it. Just uh, give us your email and your name and uh, away you and we will go uh, in the weeks to come. Our thanks, of course, to Jerry Payne. Jerry Payne, audio excellence uh, for uh, his editing skills this week. We appreciate it, of course. And uh, we uh, thank you, of course, for listening thus far. And uh, why not? How about a little, uh, a little fun, little ditty uh, to take us out. Uh, Let's do it. Okay, let's uh, let's go back. Let's go way back. This song uh is the uh, perhaps one of the uh, uh earliest uh known recordings of the now uh very uh, uh well-known uh, song uh it's uh, harry mcdonough and the hayden quartet uh and of course it is uh, take me out to the ball game this was recorded we think uh, roughly around 1907, 1908 or so, uh, about uh, ten years after our little story with the spiders, but uh, it uh, it does it sets the tone and hopefully uh, puts a little smile on your heart uh, as we uh, send you on your way. Okay, let's take us out to the ball game. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. Katie, Katie was
3: faithful mad had the fever and had it bad. Just to root for the hometown through every school, Katie Blue. On a Saturday, her young boy called to see if she'd like to go to see a show, but Miss Kate said no. I'll tell you what you can do. Takes me out to the ball game, Takes me out with the crowd. Oh, buy me some peanuts and crackers and jacks. I don't care if I never get back, let me root, root, root for the whole team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three, right, you're out at the old ball game. Takes me out to the ball game, takes me out to the crowd. Oh, buy me some peanuts and crackers, jacks. I don't care if I never get back That's be room, room, room for the whole We may pray, don't wait, it's a shame For it's one, two, three, five two, three, five, you're out, the old monkey The players by their first name told the umpire he was wrong all along, good and strong. When the score was just two and two, Katie Katie knew what to do. So just to cheer up the boys, she knew, she made the gang sing this song. Take me out to the bucket, take me out to the cross. Oh, buy me some peanuts and crackers, crack, and I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the whole. We may pay, don't make it a shame. Oh, it's one, two, three, I your out of the old.